on tonight, Show Me My Opponent. We're still in this series, Show Me My Opponent. On tonight, uh, attacking the things that have our lives out of order. On tonight, we'll be dealing with me versus condemnation. Me versus condemnation. Um, I want to begin by a, a quote. It's on your page. Um, and I, Can we read that together? I want us to read it. Read it like we're grown. Come on, read. The supreme happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved, loved for ourselves, or rather, loved in spite of ourselves. Because the reality is God loves us in spite of us. Let me say that one more time. God loves us in spite of us. Um, I want to kind of start off in a strange way, but if you kind of ride with me, we'll get there together. The devil hates our intimacy with God. He hates it. But more than him hating our intimacy with God, watch this, he actually fears our intimacy with God. Because if he cannot push our soul off course into what we've talked about all this month, deception, unhealthy introspection, unmet expectations, then, watch this, the enemy will try to persuade us that there is still something fundamentally wrong with us. And as long as we condemn ourselves, it creates a breakdown with our intimacy with God. Because how can you love a perfect God when you only see yourself in a condemning way? Watch this. Because the enemy is envious that we, the believers, are headed to a place from which he has been excluded. And he will try everything he can to frustrate our journey and hinder our fruitfulness. Can I tell you that has been the struggle for 2018, for 2017, and 2016. The enemy of your soul wants you to become so frustrated with life that you end up not being fruitful with your energy, with your time, and with your efforts. But God is calling us, you and I, to be fruitful in our lives. Pat yourself and say, I'm going to fruitfulness. But we cannot be fruitful when we are constantly being tortured in our minds by self-defeating and condemning thoughts. Look at your neighbor. This is one of my three times. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what you been thinking about? That's a scary thought, isn't it? And this is what condemnation does. Condemnation carries the thoughts of a judgment against wrongdoing. In a legal sense, it conveys the thought of a verdict executed against a transgressor. Stay with me. It means that you charge yourself, give a verdict on yourself, and live out thoughts of irreversible punishment for yourself. It is a hard judicial sentence that demands punishment and wrath against the offender. It means, watch this, I failed in some area, judgment, so I must be a failure, irreversible punishment. I made a horrible mistake, judgment, so I define myself as a mistake, irreversible punishment. I'm lacking in some area of my life, judgment, so that means I will always be lacking irreversible punishment. 
And the number one weapon the enemy uses against the believer, watch this, is condemnation. Because self-condemning thoughts make us feel more isolated than anything else in our lives. It is amazing how you can tell somebody how beautiful they are, but they don't believe it at all because they have condemned themselves to only see themselves as one way. I need you to lay hands on yourself and say, Lord, help my mind. Lord, help my mind. See, see, con condemnation is when the enemy can shine a, a magnifying glass on some particular issue, deficiency, or struggle in your life and then distort it and enlarge it to the point that we find it difficult, watch this, to concentrate on anything else. Have you ever put yourself on the plate and picked your own self apart? I know this is hard for church folk because church folk want to come and hear about your, your, your haters and your enemies. But what happens when the person who picks you apart the most is the one you look at in the mirror? Hmm? So, so, so what happens is I'm concentrating on this and I can't concentrate on anything else. So the effect uh, is feeling of oppression and bondage. I magnify my failures so now that's all I can see. I magnify my faults so my mind is enamored with thoughts of defeat. It produces frustration, fear, insecurity, depression, despair, defeat, and discouragement. It torments us with intense feelings of hopelessness and inferiority. It robs us of our joy and undermines our peace and our confidence in God but I came to announce to somebody on tonight this year I'm going to get my mind right God help me uh, I need somebody to say ain't no defeat over here ain't no defeat over here I might have failed but I'm not a failure I might have messed up but I'm not a mess because whom the sun sets free is going to be free indeed and I need to know are there any free people in this house that can lift up your hand and tell God thank you I'm a screw up, but I thank you that I'm saved by grace. Because the reality is, if, if the thought is left to ramble in your mind, what it does is that it attaches itself to an incident in your past and blame you in the present to stop you in your future. You missed what I just said. Let me rewind that one more time because I need you to get this. The thought, condemnation, is if it's left rambling in your mind, it attaches itself to an incident in your past and blame you for your present so it can stop you in your future. It will begin to feed on the incident in the past and it'll start growing like a virus. And as the thought gets stronger, you become weaker until your strength has been drained away by resentment or fear. Let me put it like this. It's on the page. Write this down. Come on. The thought you left unchecked today can become a stronghold for tomorrow. The thought you left unchecked today can become a stronghold for tomorrow. If you let the thought go unchecked, it will become a stronghold for tomorrow. That's why Paul said we must take these thoughts captive before they captivate us. Oh God. See, this year I will not let my mind go unchecked. I'm not just going to have stuff running through my mind and not question it like where did that come from and why am I thinking like that? I will not be ruled by self-defeating and self-deceptive thoughts. I will not believe the lies of the enemy 
enemy or the lies that I even tell myself. Whose report are you going to believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. See, I'm going to have the same thoughts that God thinks toward me. You know what he thinks toward me? He has thoughts of peace and not of evil. He has thoughts of a future and of a hope. See, that's why the brighter said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If he loved me, why don't I love myself? If he thinks the world of me, why don't I think the world of myself? I got to check this mind because this mind will get me in some trouble and make me think it's going to always be like this and it'll never turn around and look what happened to me in my past and I'm still stuck in 10 years ago. The devil is a liar. I believe that the thoughts I'm getting ready to think are going to be what God thinks about me. God thinks I got a great expected end for you. God thinks I got a destiny ahead for you. God thinks you're the apple of his eye. God thinks you're the his cat's meow and his dog bow wow. God thinks the world of you and how dare you walk around talking about you ugly and ain't nothing to you and I'm always going to be like this. The devil is a liar. I need somebody in here to say I need the thoughts that God thinks about me so I can see myself in a new way. See, let me, let me break this down. Let me break this down. I need to show you that there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay? Condemnation and conviction. These are words, you know, conviction. You don't hear that in church no more. Condemnation and conviction. These are distinct differences between the two. And if you don't understand the difference between the two, you'll get them mixed up. And when you should be convicted, you'll start condemning. Okay, so let me, let me work this out. Condemnation carries an air of finality. It, it carries an air of doom. It offers absolutely no hope or help for the offender. It is a harsh, irrevocable judgment which ignores the mercy and the grace of God and focuses solely upon the aspects of punishment and reprisal. In other words, I'm going through this because I'm an awful person. My mistakes done caught up with me. I, I, you know, I, this is how it is. I jacked up my credit, so I'm always going to be in this apartment. <laughs> I, I, you know, it just is what it is. If it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. It's when you tell yourself it's going to always be like this. I will never get over this. I will never come out of this. It is a, it, it is a dead end self-judgment with the intent that how I see myself cannot be changed. Okay? But conviction. Somebody say conviction. Conviction, on the other hand, is merciful. It leads the offender, watch this, to repentance. So, it's on your page. Write this down. Here we go. Condemnation is harsh and destructive, but conviction is compassionate and constructive. Condemnation is harsh and destructive, but conviction is compassionate and constructive. When I'm convicted, it leads the wrongdoer to recovery and restoration. That's why, watch this, the Bible says that God chastises those whom he loves. You ever wonder to yourself, why is it that some people can live like hell and look like they're getting away with everything? And here you are trying to live for God. 
and the slightest little thing you do wrong look like God checked you the entire way? Oh, I got good news for you. The Bible says because he chastises those whom he loves. So when I do wrong, conviction through the Holy Spirit works on me to the place that it brings me to repentance. God says, I love you so much that I want you to change. I love you so much that I want you to be better. I love you so much that I need you to go in a different direction. And what the enemy tries to do is twist our conviction to appear as condemnation. But sometimes Sometimes God's best method of changing us is when he has to spank us every now and again. You know why? Because he loves us. And if he didn't love us, he wouldn't spank us. But aren't you glad that God had to jack you up every now and again and get you together? Oh, you don't want me to tell the truth? Come on, let's tell the truth. Sometimes God will put conviction on you that you go to apologize to people who don't even think they did anything wrong. Ah, you have to get it right with people. That conviction will fall on you so heavy that you can't even sleep at night. Anybody have had, had a conviction that you tried to rest and it seemed like you couldn't even get no rest until you went and got it together? Because conviction is the love of God in action. Because he loves me, he won't let me be comfortable in what he knows I'm better than. And he never condemns me. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He might spank me, but it's making me better and bringing me closer to him. I wish I had somebody right there. He might have to shut down my plan so that I obey his will but he doesn't because he loves me he might have to withhold what I really want until he gets what he wants but he doesn't because he loves me I thank God for conviction because conviction makes me better conviction tells me how to hate my flesh conviction teaches me how to say no conviction teaches me how to say yes to God conviction teaches me how to close my mouth conviction teaches me how to stop gossiping conviction teaches me how to stay out the wrong bed is there anybody in here that say I thank God for conviction because if it wasn't for the conviction of God I'll still be in my mess I'll still be making mistakes I'll still be missing the mark but I thank God that every time the Holy Ghost convicted me I had to get it right I know you don't like that because God says sometimes I got to spank you every now and again I got to make sure that you obey in my will Sometimes I got to shut down your little plans you done put together. God help me. You had the money for it. You was getting ready to go. Had the date circled on your calendar. And God come along and say, nope, that's not what I want. Ah, and then you're sitting there weeping and crying. And God is saying, go ahead and take this little, this little spank on the behind. Because after a while, you're going to throw your hands up and say, not my will, but thy will be done. Because your way is the best way. Is there anybody in here that's found out that God's way is the best way? And even when I bumped my head, he told me, you, you shouldn't have did it in the first place but I still love you is there anybody in here that's grateful for the conviction of God see we don't like conviction because we want to say what we want to say to people we want to do what we want to do and we don't want nobody to say nothing to us and God is saying I don't need nobody to say nothing to you I'll just make sure that I aggravate you for days on end <laughs> I'll just make sure that you don't, you don't rest I'll just make sure that, that I put you in such an area that you have to come to the altar weeping and crying. 
and say, God, I done tried it every way I wish I know how. And God is saying that's the problem because it wasn't about you in the first place. If you would have just stood back and said, go ahead and do your thing, God, I could have made the way out of no way. But because you were stubborn and because you wanted to do it your way, I had to spank you a little bit to realize. I had to make sure your neighbor, your, your co-worker got on your nerves for days on end for you to realize that my way is the right way. I had to make sure that somebody lied on you and then you had to go apologize to them because I had to make sure that I'm going to get the glory out of you one way or the other and you're going to obey my will one way or the other. Is there anybody in here that could give God a little bit of praise because it didn't feel good but I thank God for it. I didn't like the conviction but I bless him because it made me who I am today. So why, 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 come on, let's go. Why are we not condemned? If I'm not supposed to battle with condemnation, then why, why are we not condemned? I want to give you a couple of reasons why we are not condemned. Number one, write this down. We are not under law but grace. We are not under law but grace. We are not under the law but grace. We want to apply the law to everybody else but us. <laughs> you should live in law, but let me have grace. But we are not under the law, but grace. We are no longer under, watch this, the penalty or the curse, as the Bible calls it, of the law. Why is it a curse of the law? Because the law is perfect and it's holy. And, and those who try to justify themselves before its author, who is God, brings not just the blessing of God, but if you don't do it right, it brings the wrath or the curse of God. Because law, the law's intended intent was to show us, watch this, that we couldn't do it by ourselves. The law was written under, for you to understand that you have a dependency that you need to have on God. And you can't live your life in self reliance Lions. I know you think you bad and you got it all together and can do it all by yourself. But see, that law will teach you, I can't live this life without God. I can't obey God without God. Oh, but when Christ fulfilled the demands of the law through his sacrificial death, he satisfied God's judge justice. So we are no longer, no longer under condemnation, but now we are under God's loving grace. Let's see this in the scripture. Second Corinthians, the third chapter, verse number nine. Come on, let's read it together. Read. This blessed me because Paul is saying here that God made an arrangement. Somebody say an arrangement. An arrangement that was so glorious that it canceled out the condemnation and brought us into righteousness. Let me tell you how wonderful this arrangement was. It was so good that he couldn't let Adam do it and he couldn't let Moses do it and he couldn't let David do it and he couldn't let none of the prophets do it. He had only one option and the arrangement with, was with Jesus Christ himself. God himself had to come out of heaven and satisfy the arrangement so that we have access, so that we have a right. Ah, the ministry of grace grace did for me what the law could never do. You know what grace did? It paid my debt. It held up the standard I could never hold up. It canceled my punishment. It washed away my sins. It made me what I could never be on my own. Grace covered me. Y'all don't know when to shout. Grace covered my mistakes and covered my flaws and covered my sins and covered my shortcomings and I'm covered by the grace of God and I'm no longer condemned. Maybe you think you got this salvation thing down 
pound pack by yourself. I mean, you can speak in a couple of tongues and you can do a little dance and think you got this thing down. But there's some of us that know we make mistakes over and over again. And I need the grace of God to be applied to my life every single day. And is there anybody in here that can give God a little bit of praise? Because when you look back over your life, you realize grace been covering you every single day. When I messed up, grace covered it. When I missed the mark, grace covered it. When I said the wrong thing, grace covered it. When I made the mistake, grace covered it. I need those that's been covered by the grace of God to give God a little bit of praise for his grace. See, can I, can I, let me, let me say this. Let me say this real quick. It amazes me, it amazes me, it amazes me that the saints of God no longer get happy about that. We get happy over the car, we get happy over the house. We get happy over the car that in two years you hate. We get happy over the job that in a couple of months the wrong person get on your nerves in the right way and now you want to switch jobs. You will shout over the money that you're going to spend anyway. But when you talk about the grace of God, we sit there. Because I've discovered that grace outlasts money. I've discovered that grace is so wonderful that grace was not only applied to my present and my future, but it went in my past. That when sin abounds, there it is, grace also much more abounds. That grace covers my life. Oh, God. And I thank him for his grace. Because I know about you, but pastor done made some mistakes that I can't tell nobody about. Pastor done done some stuff that you wish you wouldn't have never knew. If I told you, I, you probably wouldn't even want me to be your pastor no more. But I thank God that it's covered by the grace of God. And is there anybody in here that can give God a little bit of praise? Because when you look back all the mistakes, all the faults, all the failures, all the times you missed the mark, but grace kept covering you, somebody open up your mouth and give God glory because his grace covered you. I thank God for his grace. All right. Let, let me. So number one, we are not under the law, but under what? Grace. Here's number two, why we are not condemned. We are justified. We are justified. I love justification. I promise you, I love justification. What is justification? It, it, it's like this. Let me paint a picture. The Bible calls God judge. He's the judge. Okay? So if God is the judge, Jesus, if I'm standing in the court and God is getting ready to sentence me for my wrongdoing because um, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life, all right? So my sin has a payment that needs to be paid. I stand before God, and I'm in the negative. How you going to pay this? Because of no goodness of my own. I can't do nothing that good that will bring my negative into the positive. You ever had a negative bank account? And you was wondering how that mug was going to get over to the other side. <laughs> watch this. Watch this. And so God is the judge. I'm standing before him. And Jesus becomes my defense attorney. He becomes my defense attorney. Watch this. Through the work on the cross. I'm guilty. My hand was caught in the cookie jar. Still got crumbs around my mouth. God, I wish I had somebody. 
But my defense attorney stands up and opens up his hand and shows the nail-scarred hands that he has. And he says, Daddy, I paid the price. And since he paid the price, God, the judge, stands back and says, now you're free. Is there anybody in here that can say, I thank God I'm free because Jesus paid the price for me. Uh, he paid a price that I could not pay. Ah, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Prince, sin had left us. Okay. So justification is a final act of grace. Justification is the final act of grace. It means I am free in the eyes of God, watch this, forever. For, somebody say forever. And I can't be, watch this, accused of the same crimes again. We have been forgiven and made righteous in Christ. And we are now justified. In other words, we are in right standing with God. Look at Romans 8, verse number 33 through 34. Come on, let's read it together. Read. You know why I love this? You know what this means? You ready for this? It means I don't have to work my way to a relationship with God. I'm saved as a result of grace through faith. And because of my faith, God pronounced me or treated me as righteousness. God forgave my sins. Watch this. And the Bible says, and imputed to me the righteousness of Christ. And what I love about it is it's not no goodness of my own, but it's on his righteousness. Boo, stop trying to work your way into heaven. You'll never be able to work your way into heaven. But rest in the work of the cross that when Jesus died once and for all that he took care of all your sins your past sins your present sins and your future sins once and for all I ain't got to keep working my way into heaven I ain't got to work my way because when I stand before God God ain't gonna look at me anyhow he gonna see the blood hey and when he sees the blood when judgment should hit my life ah oh, it's got to pass over me is there anybody here that say I thank God that Jesus died on that cross I thank God that I've been justified in the court of, of God. I thank God that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So why am I not condemned? Come on, read my points back to me. Number one is what? Say that again. Number two? Number three is we are at peace with God. We are at peace with God. Now, you ain't going to like this little part right here. Because I don't think many of us see this. I know you're in church today. But when you and I was born, the Bible says we were born an enemy of God. See, this one, we, we don't teach this in the church no more. Because it's in my nature to have an inbred distaste to the ways of God. 
my will is contrary to his will. Because of my sin nature, my affections are in opposition to God. My walk is contrary to God's ways. I know you look so sanctified today and you you all in church and you sitting there all cute and wonderful. But the reality is, is that anybody can just agree with me that sometimes it is hard to obey the will of God. Sometimes it is hard to do what God tells you to do because there's sometimes you just want to cuss some folk out. Sometimes you just want to lay up in the bed. Sometimes you just want to do your own thing. Sometimes you want to take them ties and go out of town. Sometimes you want to do your own thing. Come on. Can we have some real con honest conversation? Don't you act like you just get up saying oh I just want to obey God the devil is a lie that's why Paul said you got to die daily because there's something on the inside of you that keeps trying to come alive every time you turn around and when you want to do good evil is right there present with you but somebody say but, but. Romans 5 verse number 1 says this come on read it watch this before Jesus, I was a slave to sin and lived in opposition to God. My transgressions had formed a barrier of hostility between him and us. You wonder why the world can't stand the church. This is the reason why. The, my transgression keeps a barrier of hostility between him and us. Ooh, I know you've been saved all your life in church since she was a little top but, but the reality is underneath all that church lingo there's another side of you with your wonderful self there's something that's inbred on the inside of you that is hostile towards God y'all don't like that kind of talking yeah, there's something on the inside of us that's hostile to God there's something on the inside of us that say I don't care what he say I'm going to do my thing there's something on the inside of us that say I ain't trying to obey his will but God intervened, intervened on my behalf and sent his son to pay for my iniquity. And what happens then? He then bridged the gap between me and God. And since we are no longer hostile to God and we are no longer under his divine condemnation and wrath, we have been reconciled to God and we are now at peace with God. Because and, and because I am at peace with God, then I can have the peace of God. You missed that. Let me back that up again. Because I'm at peace with God, then I can have the peace of God. See, I don't live in fear and worry and trepidation that the Lord is trying to pay me back for what I've done wrong. The devil is a lie. That ain't the God I serve. The God I serve, I'm at peace with. And when I lay my head down at night, I know that God ain't trying to work evil towards me, but he's trying to work nothing but good towards my life. I know that I have peace with God and so I don't live in fear that's why I ain't got to get saved every single Sunday because there's no sin that can disconnect me from God y'all don't like that right there oh, because God is saying because you belong to me we are in this forever and I'm at peace with you and I ain't going to bring wrath on your life just because you messed up and just because you missed the mark is there anybody in here that say I'm glad God ain't like people because people you'll mess up one time and they'll cut you off forever but God has an everlasting love he has a mercy that extends from generation to generation he is so God that when I mess up he still loves me he is so God that when I miss the mark he still cares about me I love him because he first loved me and I give God glory that even when I mess up he still loves me if you know he still loves you lift up your hands and tell God I thank you for loving me 
I thank you for loving me. When I messed up, I thank you for loving me. When I missed the mark, I thank you for loving me. So, if we know that, why do we still walk in condemnation? Why do we walk around condemning ourselves? So what are the roots, come on, let's go, of condemnation? What are the roots? Here's number one. Let me talk. Temperament and character. Temperament and character. Reason why we walk in condemnation is, be, is because of our temperament and our character. Large part of how we handle condemnation depends on our temperament and character. When you feel a deep sense of inferiority or worthlessness, you walk away with the mindset, watch this, like many of us have, that we're good for nothing. Can't do anything right. Always mess up. How, what have you told yourself in those times where you didn't get it right? Because it creates a low self-esteem and makes you susceptible to condemnation. Let me go deeper. And for all the perfectionists and control freaks in the room, this gets really difficult for you. Because you, you struggle with this. You know why? Because you're extremely hard on yourself. You are the most prone to condemnation. Because you beat yourself up over everything. Something don't go the way you thought it was going to go, and you beat yourself up. Something don't work out the way you thought it was going to work out, and you beat yourself up. You beat yourself up because you forgot something. You know how many things you got to remember in a day? You beat yourself up because you're not as organized as you want to be. As if God is going to say, well done, that good and organized servant. This don't count as one. Touch your name and say, relax. Because you're beating yourself up over stuff and condemning yourself. I'll never get it together. Just a messy room. Just clean it. If it take you a week, if it take you a month, just clean it. Why are you condemning yourself? Why are you putting yourself in a category? Just because. Relax. Here's, here's the next root of condemnation. Number two, past conditioning. Past conditioning. Past conditioning. What do you mean by this, Pastor? Some of you have been conditioned into the condemning of yourself. Our present self-image is often a result of our, here we go, you're not going to like this, but it's the truth, of our upbringing. You've been conditioned to be condemning towards yourself. I know you, I know you love them. I, I'm not saying, you know, me, Ma, and them was, was not loving, and I'm not saying Big Mama and them was not a loving person. I'm not saying that Grandma and them and mom and them and daddy and them weren't loving people. But if you grew up in an overbearing, critical, or judgmental environment, we sometimes lack a sense of approval, acceptance, or self-worth because of it. Some of you are still struggling to this day. Mm. The endless put-downs that you had to endure at the hands of parents, family members, here you go, or schoolmates that you ain't seen in 20 years but their words still affect you to this day. 
And what it does is it internalizes itself as a voice, and then it becomes a counterfeit of the voice of God. Is that too heavy for y'all? So when you tell, when the, watch this, so when the spirit tells you that greatness is on, side, on the inside of you, your critical mama, her voice is still in your head telling you how bad of a mother you are. Got real quiet right there. She didn't even say it, but you still hear it. Because you've been conditioned to be condemning. You can still hear the voices in your head. And they come as counterfeit voices to the voice of the Lord. So past conditioning contributes to poor self-esteem and an attitude which is self-depreciating and self-condemning. Is this helping anybody? So number one is what? Number two, next root of uh, condemnation, number three, is an improper view of God. You have an improper view of God. You don't see God right. That's hard for a Christian. Because when you don't see God right, it affects so many other things when it comes to your faith. Many Christians possess a distorted concept of the way God relates to us. They don't see God as a loving father. Many of us see God as a stern, demanding judge. Let me put it like this. Have you ever been driving down the street and a police car pull up behind you? How, how, how did you feel? And watch this. What if the police officer followed you closely for several miles? Watch this. You start thinking in your own mind, huh, I wonder if I got any unpaid tickets. You start thinking about stuff that happened 20 years ago. Wondering if this going to catch up with you. Watch this. And you know what's sad? Many have this same perception about God. You ready for this? This is why some people don't get into the worship atmosphere and sit back. Because if I worship, that means I have to open up. And if I open up, I'm scared what God going to find. So let me sit there and not engage. Because I feel like I'm just in my car and he behind me getting ready to pull me over. Because we think God is out to get us. We think that we're not good enough for the love of God and for the blessings of God. That's why some of you, it's hard for you to even praise God when God blesses you. Because you're wondering, is this even for God? Why would it be from God? You know how jacked up I am? God said, I bless you not because of, but in spite of. God, I wish I had somebody right there. Is there anybody that can look at the blessings in your life and realize it ain't because I live that holy. It's in spite of myself. It is no goodness of my own why God has been that good to me. It ain't because I did it all good and I didn't cross every T and dot every dot. It's because God looked at me and still blessed me in spite of me. That's how loved by God you are. But what we do is we condemn ourselves because it's hard for us to accept the reality that God truly loves us and accepts us. Many believers have a deep-seated notion that God disapproves of them, and they secretly feel that if that he's a critical father that, is a, that with impossible demands, who is impossible to please. Number one, read it back to me. Number two. Number three. 
Here's number four, unresolved guilt from the past. This is why we condemn ourselves, unresolved guilt from the past. Unresolved guilt of the past. I don't think we understand how powerful this one is. And let me, let me break this down for you. Unresolved guilt from the past. Some individuals in here right now, I've been here, are haunted with memories of the sins or mistakes of the past. And what we don't understand is that the enemy uses this as ammo. Let me tell you why he uses it as ammo. Because when you have an important task in front of you, or God is trying to call you to another level, or God is trying to do something with you through your work, through your dreams, through your vision, whatever it is, you back off. Because you're scared of the failure that you had in the past will repeat itself in your present. So you walk away from it. You don't even, in, you don't even get into it. Come on. You meet some good people. And with it, two weeks, you cut them off. Because ain't nobody going to hurt me like the last one hurt me. Because the enemy knows if I can remind you of your unresolved guilt from your past, then you will be locked into a moment and never move into your future. Touch your neighbor, this number two, and tell them, come to the future, come to the future, come to the future, come to the future. Watch this. Because some of you are sitting there talking about, I'm waiting on God. And God is saying, I'm waiting on you to get over that. Because I can't bring you into this if you ain't over that. Because all you're going to do is sabotage this. Have you ever realized, I hate to say this, but have you ever realized that sometimes God will slow down the opportunities in some seasons because he wants to make sure that you get it together so that you're not so held up? Yes, I made mistakes with my finances in the past, but that ain't got to define my future. Yes, I made some mistakes in relationships in the past, but it doesn't matter what God is getting ready to take me. I learn from that and I move on from that, but I'm not going to be stuck somewhere when God is trying to do something. Behold, I will do a new thing in your life condemnation will not allow you to see that there's life after divorce there's life after broken relationships here we go there's life after abortion there's life after sexual sins there's life after backsliding and if we don't accept God's cleansing and forgiveness then we will find it difficult to forgive ourselves and forget the mistakes of yesterday so my question becomes here we go how should we respond to condemnation? How should we respond to condemnation? How should we respond to condemnation? Here's number one. Challenge the lie. Challenge the lie. The Bible says the enemy is what? The accuser of the brethren. And he accuses you before the Lord day and night, the Bible says. See, the first step to take is an immediate, decisive action by striking at the root of the problem. We must forcefully reject the deceitful lie that condemnation is acceptable for us. It is not acceptable for the people of God to condemn themselves. It is not acceptable for the people of God to condemn themselves. We must recognize that if what I'm thinking pulls me further away from God, then what I'm thinking is a lie from the father of lies. 
Because if it was from God, it would push you towards God. But if it's from the enemy, it'll pull you away from God. John 8, verse number 44. Come on, let's read this together. Read. He is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. That mess with me. You know why I mess with me? Because I look at some people who lie all the time and I wonder who they daddy. <laughs> Let me break this down. How, he's the father of lies. Watch this. Go back to God, Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, Satan, Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan lied about God in heaven, and then he lied about God to Adam and Eve. What happened to both of those? He lied to the angels about God, and what ended up happening? He kicked one-third, God kicked one-third of them out of heaven, okay? He lied to Adam and Eve, and what happened to them? They got kicked out of the garden. In other words, they believed those lies, and as a result, I want you to hear this, the circle of love and trust was broken in their hearts and in their minds. Let me break this down real quick. Number one, write this down. Lies believed break the circle of love and trust. Lies believed break the circle of love and trust. This is heavy. This is heavy. Lies believed. Break the circle of love and trust. Isn't it funny that you get more offended by people who lie to you and you believe the lie versus people who lie to you and you did not believe the lie? I told y'all I had the aunt that sit on the front porch <laughs> and when somebody come talking to her and, and she'll, they'll walk away, they have a whole conversation. And when they walk away, she'll look over at us and say, another lie. <laughs> Watch this. She never got offended by it because she knew it was a lie from the get-go. But it cuts a little deeper. When you tell me something, I believe it, and then I find out it was a lie. What does it do? It breaks the circle of love and trust. So here's what I've discovered. So I don't trust people because they lied. I trust people. I don't trust them because I believe the lie. You had me out here believing this foolishness. Can we have real talk just for a minute? It breaks the circle of love and trust. Now you see that in the natural. Now let's go in the spiritual. What happens when you believe the lies of the enemy? It breaks the circle of love and trust between you and God. So here's what we start saying. Watch this. God, I don't believe you you good. Because if you was good, how am I living like this? God, I believe you're just trying to keep me down. I tried to move to Atlanta three times. <laughs> so because I believe the lie, watch this. Now I don't trust God no more. 
Did y'all see that? Here's number two. Write this down. Broken love and trust results in fear and selfishness. Broken love and trust results in fear and selfishness. God, I believe that you're against me. So since I believe you're against me, now I'm scared. I'm afraid of you, and I can't trust you to watch out for me. So here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. I mean, I was trusting you that you was going to send me a husband, but you're taking too long, so let me just go do my own thing. I was believing that you was going to send me a better job, but since you take it too long, let me just go apply to everything. And where I end up with the most money? And then two and a half years later, we got to see you sit there weeping your eyes out with your arms folded. Can't get no praise out of you because you think that God is against you. No, boo, you took matters in your own hands because you stopped trusting him. I felt the Holy Ghost right there. Because I'm, fe- I'm fearful, now I got to be selfish. And you know what this society calls it? You know what it calls it? Survival of the fittest. And God said, when did I ever ask you to do that? I didn't ask you to survive, I asked you to prosper. God, I wish, I need somebody here to say, if you obey God, you're getting ready to step into a season of prosperity. You ain't surviving no more. Come on, can I just go ahead and speak this? I speak over this house, no more paycheck to paycheck. I speak over this house that we will not just survive, but we're getting ready to thrive because we're going to obey God. What happens next? Come on, let's go. Fear and selfishness result in acts of sin. I'm getting all this from Genesis, the third chapter. Fear and selfishness result in acts of sin. So God says, you're trying to keep something from me. I'm going to get that fruit before I'm too tired to get it. Or before God gets rid of the tree. Before I, I lose my chance to get ahead. Let me go ahead and do my own thing. Has anybody ever lived in a season of doing your own thing? I'm going to just do my own thing. Because God's taking too long. God's just taking too long. So I'm going to do my own thing. Because fear and selfishness, because I'm afraid. And now i got to be selfish. It results in acts of sin. Here's number four. Acts of sin result in damage to my mind, character, and body. Acts of sin result in damage to my mind, character, and body. So because I'm doing my own thing now, now I'm out here, and now I'm getting myself in trouble. And it creates damage to my mind, damage to my character, and damage to my body. I know this is going to be real tough for some of y'all, but I need some of you to admit this. Think about how much nicer you used to be before you had to go through the hurt of doing your own thing. Think about how loving you used to be before you had to go through the hurt of doing it your way. It's nice to do. I loved everybody. But now, because I did my own thing, I was in fear and selfishness. I went out there, did my own thing, got my own food. I ain't had time to wait. Did my own thing. And I got hurt out there. So now I'm looking at everybody skeptical. Come on, let me talk for a minute. Members come through the door. Pastor, I'm always with you. Mm. 
Been there, done that. Got a T-shirt for it. What you? What do you want? Because I got hurt before, and now that I'm damaged, now I see everything that way. And God is saying, "Come do it my way." They weren't your members in the first place. And if you would have never saw them as your members in the first place, like I told you, you wouldn't have got hurt by them. Because you realize that some are there for a season, a reason, and for hey. a lifetime. Hey. Okay. All right. So how do I deal with the fact? How do I challenge the lie? Very simple. Three words. Write this down. I, don't put, I ain't put no space on there, but write this down. Three words to challenge the lie that the enemy tells you. Three, three words to challenge the condemnation that, 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 that you have set towards yourself. Three words. Did God say? Did God say? Did he say I was always going to be in this place? Did he say I was always going to be like this? Did he say I was always going to be broken? Did he say I was always going to be bound? Did he say I was always going to be broke? Did he say, did God say? And when I discover that God didn't say that, now I don't have to walk in condemnation anymore. I just challenged the lie. Watch this. Number two, number two. We must correct. I got to go quickly. Number two. We must correct. Thank you. We must correct a wrong self-image. We must correct a wrong self-image. We want to overcome condemnation. We must correct a wrong self-image. Because of our past experiences, uh, they can... Uh, give us a negative effect on our present attitude. We must correct our incorrect self-image because of condemnation, we will, uh, condemnation will have you seeing yourself through the lens of hopelessness and helplessness. That's why there was a season in this church where people were leaning on being the victim. And I started preaching in a different way because I saw people just leaning, trying to be the victim all the time. You ain't helpless. You ain't hopeless. Do you know who you serve? God, I wish I had somebody right there. I know you feel bad, and I know you're going through, and I know it hurts, and I know you're tired, and I know you're worn, but do you know who you serve? Do you know you serve the great I am? Do you know you serve the God that cannot fail? Do you know you serve a God that will not lie? Do you know you serve a God that if he spoke it, it's got to come to pass? Do you know you serve a God? That's why you can't walk around in hopelessness and helplessness because you serve the great I am. You serve the, he makes you more than a conqueror. He makes you victorious. Lift up your hands. Stop always walking around feeling broke, busted, and disgusted. Yeah, I'm going through hell, but honey, I ain't got to put a smell like smoke. I can wash my face, put myself together, square my shoulders back, and put one foot in front of the other. And when people look at me, they're going to wonder, how is it you still got a smile on your face? Do you know who I serve? How is it that you still giving God praise? Do you know who I serve? Because when I discover who I serve, then it changes how I see myself. Watch this. Watch this. And when you start to walk in condemnation in those feelings, here's the problem. Let me go deep just for a minute. We will seek to be, to start being, watch this, self-confident. And we will seek after trying to have a high self-esteem. I thought that's what I was supposed to have. Check the book. Do the Bible study. You're supposed to have self-confidence and a wonderful self-esteem. Does the Bible say that? I know that's what society teaches you. I know that's what you want to have. But does the Bible say that you're supposed to have self-confidence and a self-esteem? 
Last time I checked, self is a mess. So how is self going to make me something? I need something outside of me. God, I wish I had somebody right there to speak into me so that I could be what they want, what he wants me to be. Okay, watch this. It's, it's because of those feelings that we seek after that. Self-confidence means I'm secure and assured in myself. So it makes you ask the question, well, what can I do? Because I'm self-confident. What can I do? Self-esteem is concerned with answering the question, what am I worth? That's a dangerous question to ask yourself. Because sometimes yourself don't feel like a dime. The trouble with this pursuit is that sometimes I will feel like I can't do anything right and I will feel like I'm not worth much. But the way I change my incorrect self-image, hear this, is that I must recognize that I am now, watch this, in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. And when you are in Christ, my past has been washed away. When I'm in Christ, I am now a what? New creation. So we must reject the corrupt feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness, inferiority, which results in condemnation. So when I look in the mirror, watch this, I don't just see my flaws and all. When I look in the mirror, I see that I'm accepted in the beloved. I see that I am a son or daughter in Christ. I see that I have dignity and honor and destiny in my life. I see that I have value in God. And no lie from the devil can take any of that away. You need Bible? Here's Bible. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. There's some specialness on the inside of you that when God looks at you, he don't see all the mistakes. He don't see all the flaws. In fact, when he do see the flaws, the Bible says he puts you on the potter's wheel and molds you all over again to get all the flaws out of you. Is there anybody in here that say, I'm glad that when I look in the mirror, I see somebody flawed but saved by grace. I see somebody struggling, but I got a God on my side. And I don't look at just me, but I look at the God that is in me. Because greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. I got the great I am dwelling on on the inside of me. So here's the problem. Let me go quickly. I need you to get this. This is why you got to be careful. I never saw this before. You got to be careful with flashbacks. <laughs> Make it like it was. I ain't got no old school people right there. Y'all don't know that Regina Bell. Y'all don't know that Regina Bell. Because flashbacks, ladies and gentlemen, are sometimes a denial that the Lord Jesus has forgiven our past and our failures. Flashbacks will put you in a place. It'll make you live life in reverse. Some of you sitting right now still thinking that 2015 was your greatest year. Some of you are living life in reverse. Watch this. And grieving over the past. And when you do that, you negate what God has done in your life. And what it does is it perverts the spiritual blessing that God has released in your life. Let me tell you something. You can go back down memory lane, but let me tell you what you need to go back down memory lane to do. Go back down memory lane, watch this, to remember the prayers that you prayed. God, see, y'all don't, don't get that right there. 
See, when you go back down memory lane and remember the prayers that you have prayed, watch this, you'll start discovering wait a minute, he done answered some of these prayers that I prayed. God didn't remember my mistakes, but he remembered my past. I mean, he remembered my prayers. He kept my prayers on file in heaven because when I confessed my sins, they were forgiven and forgotten. The sins were blotted out and buried into the sea of forgiveness. And so when I, when God looks at me, he ain't looking at my past. See, that's why when I go back dip down memory lane, I remember I prayed about that and God answered my prayer. And I prayed about that and God answered my prayer and I was struggling over there but look where the Lord has brought me from look where the Lord has brought me from brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light look where the Lord has brought me from can anybody give God just about five seconds of praise for the answers prayer that God did in your life if I got to look back I ain't gonna look back and remember what I used to do I'm gonna look back and remember God brought me out of that and he brought me out of that and he brought me from there and he kept me over there and I'm grateful to God that God kept me right so number three and I'm done number three I gotta go number three we gotta renew our concept of God renew our concept of God renew our concept of God if you have an improper view of God you gotta renew the concept your concept of God much of our condemnation can be traced back to a distorted and inaccurate view of how God relates to us. We must change the concept to restore our intimacy. Watch this. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi put this, uh, said this quote, and I want, to, I want us to read this together. You ready? Read. Underline that last statement. Power based on love is a thousand times more effective and permanent than the one derived from fear of punishment. You know what that means? I don't love God because I'm trying to stay out of hell. I love God because he first loved me. Changes the whole dynamic. I don't obey God because I'm scared of the punishment. I obey God because I just love him that much. It changes your perspective. And when you change your concept of God, it changes your approach in your intimacy with God. See, when you do this, the, the lies that you believe, they broke the circle of love and trust. That means that the laws, the laws uh, created anxiety and fear of how we see God. If we fear him, then how can we see him as our friend? If we fear him, how can we see him as a trusted confidant? If we fear him, how can we love him as our savior? If we just see him as a harsh judge, just waiting to make the slightest mistake so he can punish us with condemnation, then we can never settle in the fact that God is for us. Touch your neighbor for the last time and tell them, God is for you. See, that's hard for some of you because when you look at your situation and your circumstance, it will make you think that God is against you. But sometimes closed doors is the best love in the world because sometimes he says, I love you so much that if I let you go through that open door, you'll make a mistake. You'll make a mess. You'll probably kill yourself. If I gave you a million dollars right now, you'll be broke in three weeks. But how about I build you in a way that when you do get the money, you ain't going to lose it this time. God's saying, change your perspective and how you see me 
because sometimes I'm telling you no because I love you. Is there anybody in here that say, I thank God for every no he gave me because it's making me and creating in me and doing for me what a yes would never do. I thank God for every time he closed the door in my face. I thank God for every time he canceled my plans. I thank God for every time God said, no, that ain't the way. I said, God, I thank you and I'll trust you because I know your way is because you love me and your no is because you love me and your going this way is because you love me. I thank God that every time I tried to do it on my own, it's because God had to come back and say, no, don't do it that way and I love you. This going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. My parents never said that to me. But sometimes the spanking is just what you need. You know what I love about God? You ready for this? God will let you have a temper tantrum. He will let you fall all out. He'll let you sit there and mope and whine and cry. And he'll come back to you as I'm preaching or as you're reading the word. And he'll ask you, you done yet? Oh, you ain't done? Okay, get it all out. All right, get it all out. All right. Mm -hmm. He'll come back to you weeks later and ask you again, you done yet? Oh, okay, you ain't done. All right. Okay, all right. See, he ain't like our parents who had short patience. His patience go on forever. You know why? Because he don't live in time. He lives in eternity. So there's not a clock that he's trying to punch. God say, I'll sit and wait till you get yourself together. Oh, but when you get yourself together and you learn how to give me a real yes from the depths of your soul when you learn how to tell me yes when you don't want really want to say no God says now I can bless you in a way that you need to be blessed so God is saying no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus all right come on bring the babies up I know they yeah you, they come on y'all move this back for me how many of y'all had tonight Praise the Lord. Amen. Come on right here. Come on right here. Y'all get in one line. Get in one line. All right. Face me. There you go. Lord Jesus. Come on. Bring the babies. Come on. Let me get the smallest ones first. Come on. Cam, you going to stand there? No. Mm-mm. You're not. Come on, bring the babies first. Girl, what you eating? Lord, have mercy. I see so much promise in this room. I see so much destiny. Amen. Yeah, come on. Amen. I love it. All right. Um, you got it? Yeah, thank you. So, Father, I bless these children. I bless these babies. God, we believe, we decree and declare that over their lives, there's greatness on the inside of them. We believe that God, he who has begun a good work, shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We believe that these are a blessing from you, God. These are our future. 
So God, we consecrate them now. We cover them now. God, we come against every foul spirit that wants to attach itself to their destiny. We come against every unclean hands. We come against every plot of the enemy over their lives. We come against it right now. God, I lift up these black boys. The enemy is after them to destroy them. But God, we come against it right now in the name of Jesus. Cover them from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet. God, I speak to every young lady, every virtuous woman in the making. Cover them now, God. We come against, y'all want me to go there? We come against teenage pregnancy. We come against, in the boys and the girls, any STDs now. We come against the spirit of rape and molestation. We come against it right now in the name of Jesus. God, cover every child. These belong to you, God. These belong to you, God. Devil, you are a liar. These belong to you. God, we come against any development issues. We come against any, anything that comes up in their, in their emotions, God. Regulate right now in the name of Jesus. God, I cover them right now. And God, as I lay my hands on them, as the prophet that you have sent to this house, I pray, God, that we consecrate them to you. They will serve you. They will know you. They will know you, God. They will know you, God. We will raise them in the way you have told us to raise them. We, they will know you, God. And we thank you now. So, God, we cover them right now in the name of Jesus. Cover them right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we cover them right now. All right. Um, so, I'm going to get them to come this way. You got them, Rose? Okay. Follow Miss Rose. In the name of Jesus. That's right, Victor. Step on up. In the name of Jesus. Cover Annalie now. In the name of Jesus. Cover Riley. In the name of Jesus. Cover Jamal. In the name of Jesus. Give me your name. What's her name? Kamora. We cover Kamora now. Come on. Uh, uh, the Drake. Which, what's her name? Talia. We cover Talia now in the name of Jesus. We cover Jason. Is it JC on? Jason. That's okay. We cover Carter, thank you. I know that. It just just lost for a minute. We cover Kendrick in the name of Jesus. We cover Robin. Robin. That's her name? Robin. What I've been calling her. We cover Robin in the name of Jesus. What's your name? JC on. We cover JC on in the name of Jesus. Hmm? Brendan. We cover Brendan in the name of Jesus. He lifted his hand like he was about to receive it. What's your name? Who? Kai. Makai? Makai. We cover Makai in the name of Jesus. Hmm? Torin. You know I'm old. I know your name, but I just forgot it. We cover Torin in the name of Jesus. We cover Terrence. Is it Terrence? 
parents in the name of Jesus. Like they don't know their name. What's your name? She ain't going to say it. Okay, we cover Sky in the name of Jesus. What's your name? Sincere. What is it? Sincere. We cover Sincere in the name of Jesus. Huh? William. We cover William in the name of Jesus. Caitlin. We cover Caitlin in the name of Jesus. Tamari. We cover Tamari in the name of Jesus. Natalia. Now all that noise you be making out there. Now you can't talk. We cover Natalia in the name of Jesus. Huh? Elise. 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 We cover Elise in the name of Jesus. Terrius. We cover Terrius. We cover Terrius in the name of Jesus. I'm old now. You can't ask me what your, I, what's your name now. Shania, I knew that. We cover Shania in the name of Jesus. Anaya. See, I'll be getting your name confused with what I said. What's the other one? Tanaya. Anaya. We cover Anaya in the name of Jesus. Zion. Ha! See, I knew that one. We cover Zion in the name of Jesus. Uh, Duran. We cover Duran in the name of Jesus. Nasir. We cover Nasir in the name of Jesus. Cece. What's your real name? Sierra. I knew that. We cover Sierra in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you about Sierra. Wasn't Sierra my first youth? She was the very first one. Sierra was our first youth. When Sierra came, she was mean as a rattlesnake. Some of y'all remember that. Listen, the Lord has done a work. You know, you used to be real mean, right? You know that? You used to be real mean. She cussed at me one time. I said, wait a minute now. She don't even remember that. I know it. Hold on. No, I don't. Jade, I knew that. Jade or Jada? Jada. I cover Jada in the name of Jesus. Niger, I cover Niger in the name of Jesus. Nima, I cover Nima. I like that name in the name of Jesus. Lord have mercy. I cover Aiden in the name of Jesus. Jamal, I cover Jamal in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Javon, I cover Javon in the name of Jesus. Now, you know you ain't no youth no more, right? Okay, all right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You look young. Mm-hmm, praise the Lord. All right, let's give it up for our children. Let's give it up for our babies. Thank y'all so much. I appreciate y'all so much for bringing them. I appreciate y'all so much for